What a joyous morning it is to be able to come together to appreciate the worship of our God in heaven and to do that in a way that we appreciate would be pleasing and acceptable in His sight. As was mentioned earlier, we're certainly thankful for the presence of each and every individual that's here today, our visitors as well as our membership alike, and we hope each of us are such that we can truly say it will have been certainly good for us to be here today. In addition to those things that were announced today, let us certainly keep in mind really a part of what will be the backdrop for this lesson, this sermon this morning. You may have already noticed the title, and I hope it will be something memorable for you and me, Presumptuous Sins and a Ribbon of Blue. Now, as we develop this Ribbon of Blue idea, we, of course, will use the Word of God as our guide, and the backdrop for this lesson will be as follows. The opening statement on this next slide will, in fact, help us to appreciate that idea. The ladies' Bible class started, of course, back in September and began a series of lessons on the topic of authority. And those topics have been very practical and very meaningful and also very, very helpful. But as you probably are well aware, the last Tuesday of the month is the evening on which those sessions occur. And the last Tuesday of December is on Christmas Day. And so the ladies have decided that this lesson, the one we're about to consider this morning, will be the consideration for that particular month. And so the actual next occurrence, the next session, will be the last Tuesday in January. I believe it will be January the 29th. And so study along on that lesson in light of our comments this morning, and you should be well, well apprised of appreciating the movement and the development through that book. The topic for this lesson is presumptuous sin, rebellion. Hear strongly the nature of that topic. Does the Bible have anything to say about rebellion? Does it have anything to say about presumptuous sin? I'd submit that it does. And as we develop that this morning, we're going to note not only some practical things to be very meaningful for us, but some matters that will be, I hope, very memorable as well. You'll notice on that slide that some of those previous lessons have surrounded the basis of authority, the consideration of Christ and His authority, and God's right hand. Those have been the three lessons we've looked at from the pulpit so far. Today, presumptuous sin. I believe each of us at this point would have every right to ask, well, what exactly is presumptuous sin? What makes that different than any other kind of sin? Well, let's see if we can make some sense of that this morning and also see what God has to say about it. This next slide is one that's a very general introduction, but it leads us to a powerful conclusion. What is sin in any regard? You and I have that thankful presentation of the Word of God that leaves us no doubt about this. 1 John 3 verse 4, Whosoever sinneth transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. That text reminds us very simply and very directly what sin is. It is any violation of the law of God. Now that violation, as you can see on the slide, can take the form of a number of particulars. It could be a violation attached to one's words. Can you and I speak things in such a way that it's sinful? Sure we can. No wonder the psalmist exclaimed in Psalm 59, 12 about the sin of the mouth and how, of course, how evil that in fact is. 
Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 12 that we're going to give account on the day of judgment for even the idle words we speak? But in addition to that, what about our actions? Can I do something that in fact is a violation of the will of God? And sure we can. I call to your attention Genesis 18.20, where there God specifically asserted to Abraham that for the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, what they were doing in those cities, I'm going to bring judgment upon them. And today we understand so well that that will be the law to the day of judgment, won't it? But maybe one final consideration. What about one's thoughts? I may not ever say it, and I may not ever even do anything to act upon it, but could it be that my thoughts are sinful? Oh, yes. Proverbs 24, 9 still reminds us that the thought of foolishness is sin. So during the day, if you and I allow ourselves to dwell upon something and think about something we ought not, we've committed a sin. How important it is then to appreciate that with that understanding about the nature of sin and with that appreciation attached to it, let's now make these descriptions using the Word of God as our guide. Isn't it true that all sin is wrong? You and I know well that our world likes to talk about little sins and big sins. The Bible just doesn't know anything about that distinction. It is true that not all sin, though, is the same in its nature. And that's what we're about to see this morning. All sin is wrong, but not all sin is exactly the same in terms of its consequences and its nature. The first consideration of that will be this. The Bible identifies certain sins that are called sins of ignorance. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 4. In the Old Testament, as we look at a bit about sins of ignorance, listen to the way in which the God of heaven makes this description. Leviticus chapter 4, verse number 27. And if any one of the common people sin through ignorance, while he doeth something against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and be guilty... In that very case, you'll notice that this statement is made. Here's an individual of the ancient people of Israel who did something that wasn't supposed to be done, but he did it in ignorance. He didn't really understand or appreciate what was to be done, but what he did, he did it without knowing it. Look at the next verse. Or if his sin which he hath sinned come to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sin which he hath sinned you'll notice that God still calls it a sin, even if He had done it in ignorance. It was still wrong. Now you'll appreciate then that here's a sin of ignorance. This person simply didn't understand and know any better, but what he or she had done was not pleasing to God. It violated His will. That's a sin of ignorance. That will occupy a different category from those we're about to see next. Look furthermore at the next one. What about a sin of weakness? Here's a person who knows that something is wrong, but he or she is making his very best attempt not to do it. But in a moment of weakness, he succumbs to it. He gives in to it. You and I recall an example of that one in Matthew 26. There, Peter, 
You may recall that here he and James and John were, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was a short distance from them praying. And the Lord came to them and they were asleep. It was in that context that Jesus said, Rise and watch. The flesh, He distinguished to the Spirit like this. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now Peter had the desire to not sin, and he had the desire not to do anything wrong, but the flesh was weak. He did not understand the nature of the pressures to be brought upon him that night. And later he would deny Jesus three times that very night. He didn't understand the nature and how great was going to be the pressures and forces brought against him. There are times when you and I may find ourselves in that situation. We may have every intent to do what the Bible says, but in a moment of weakness, heaped upon us are trials and afflictions and pressures, and we crumble beneath the force of them. We never intended to, but we did. Would you notice again, that's still sin. Did Peter sin that night when he crumbled beneath the pressure? Sure he did. He went out and wept bitterly. Matthew 26, verses 71 and following. Maybe it is in light of those things we come to another category. We've then made mention of these sins of ignorance, and we've highlighted these sins of weakness. What about presumptuous sin? Presumptuous sin. The lesson text read a moment ago from Psalm 19. Would you please highlight again verse 13 of that chapter? Psalm 19, verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. The inspired writer brought to our appreciation now, and of course back at that time, the reality of what he called a presumptuous sin. We have now re-arrived at our question, what is a presumptuous sin? May I suggest it is not a sin of ignorance, nor is it a sin of weakness. We're going to devote a fair amount of the next portion of our lesson appreciating what it is that a presumptuous sin is, but could I ask you to already notice what's going to be involved in it. The word presumptuous, or some form of it, occurs eight times in the Bible, in the King James translation at least. And those eight occurrences come from a root word that means with a high hand. Keep that image in mind. To sin with a high hand. This kind of sin is one where a person knows that it's wrong, no doubt about it, but he's going to do it anyway. In rebellion against the authority of God, he knows what God has said. He or she understands what the affirmation of the Bible is, but they just don't care. I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to do what I want. May I suggest to you that it's a presumptuous sin. It's done with a high hand, raising one's elevation of authority even above that of God. That's a dangerous and, in fact, eternally damning consideration to be sure. Let's close that slide then like this. We aren't left to wonder about the nature of that distinction, for God, in fact, gave us an example in Numbers 15. I'd like to ask you to notice as I read a few verses out of Numbers, the 15th chapter, 
We'll start reading in verse number 27. And listen to the description that God makes of sins that are presumptuous versus those that are not. Verse 27, Numbers 15. And if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly, when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord, to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Ye shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. Now we'll pause there before we continue, but those three verses have set before us the reality here again is an ancient Israelite who sinned in ignorance. Notice God said the person has sinned. Just because they didn't know doesn't excuse them. They, in fact, had to offer sacrifice when the appropriate realization had come. But notice how different that is to what follows. Verse, 20, verse 30 begins a description of a different kind of sin. Let's listen to the ancient writer. But the soul that sinneth presumptuously... Whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Because he hath despised the word of the Lord and hath broken his commandment, that soul shall utterly be cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. I hope that sends chills up your spine and mine. This person who had sinned ignorantly, a sacrifice could be offered and that could be forgiven of him. But this person that sinned presumptuously, the language reads like this. That person reproaches the Lord. He knows what God said, but he just doesn't care. He is determined to do what he or she wants to do presumptuously, elevating their hand, if you please, above the authority of God himself. Did you note verse number 30? What's the punishment? Nothing is said about sacrifice offered. It says that soul should be cut off from among his people. The next verse goes on to say, That soul shall utterly be cut off, and his iniquity shall be on him. The impression of the Word of God is that person is not only worthy of death, but is to be cut off. Presumptuous sin is serious. To willfully and deliberately do what God says that must not be done, is a presumptuous sin. No wonder the idea of rebellion then is so vital. And again, our ladies in their class were going to give attention to that in some detail. And that distinction, of course, is what we're discussing this morning. May I ask you to consider this further development? Why don't we then give some thought to some Bible examples of presumptuous sin? What about some people who actually sinned like this and what happened to them? The Word of God gives us some rather penetrating and powerful appreciations. Let's start near the top of that slide. The opening statement is again just a summary. What we mean by presumptuous sin, what the Word of God means is a sin that deliberately is done, knowing full well what God says, but just choosing to do what one wishes anyway. That's a very different thing from a sin of ignorance. And it's even different than a sin of weakness. Look at these examples of presumptuous sin. Let's use the children of Israel as our first example. 
Was there an occasion, a time among the history of Israel when they chose to sin presumptuously? In Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and following, God told Moses, and He in fact informed the children of Israel, they were going to go to a land and they were going to inhabit it. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land in which they were dramatically to be blessed. That takes a heightened understanding when we come to the book of Numbers. In fact, could I invite you to notice in Leviticus 20 as well as later, in the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, the children of Israel made this decision. They had come out of Egypt. They had traveled toward the promised land and they came there and then they made this statement. We cannot take it. They're like, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Now Joshua and Caleb had a description for that. In Numbers 14, he said, you are rebelling against God. God told them they could take it. He promised them they'd have it. And now they said, let's go back to Egypt. They directly, despite the authority and mission of God, they directly said, let's do something else. That land is above what we could take. Look, look at this example. In Numbers 14, verses 8 and 9, when the t twelve spies came back and ten of them said, we cannot take it, Joshua and Caleb said, you are rebelling against God. They rebelled. God, by authority, said they would take it. And He promised them they'd have it. And yet that wasn't enough. That disbelief brings us to another example. May I ask what happened to them? It is a rather tragic thing to recollect this. God said, not a one of you except Joshua and Caleb will enter that land. Your carcasses will die in this wilderness and you'll never live to see it. May I ask, were they cut off? Sure they were. They never enjoyed the great entrance into that place. They died short of it. God took, took presumptuous sin very seriously, didn't He? Look at that next example. In Deuteronomy 17, now this particular case is one that perhaps would be best explained just let, let, letting the verse present itself. Chapter 17, verse, verses 8 through 12, describe a scene, a situation in judgment. What if a judge rendered a particular verdict and the person didn't like the verdict and just chose to do whatever he wanted anyway? God had a word for that. Could I draw your attention to verse number 12 of Deuteronomy 17? And the man that will do presumptuously and will not hearken unto the priest that standeth to minister there before the Lord, or unto the judge, even that man shall die, and thou shalt put away the evil from Israel. God there issued through the agency of Moses. If here's a man who a verdict has been rendered and he simply doesn't like the verdict, put that man to death. He's presumptuous and he is rebelling against the authority of God exhibited through the nature of the priest and the judge to be cut off. One more time, it's easy to see the message. God looked very strongly upon anyone that would act presumptuously like this. 
The next example takes us to Joshua chapter 6 and 7. Picture it with me. God had in fact rather powerfully said, when you conquer Jericho, all of the spoils are to go into the treasury of the Lord. None of it is to be kept personally. Did Achan know what the Word of God was? Did Achan know what the will of God was with regard to that topic? Certainly he knew, and yet he espied this silver, this gold, and this Babylonian garment, and he took it. Was he presumptuous? He surely was. What happened to Achan? In the closing verses of Joshua chapter 7, we have a picture of a man who was brought to the place. He and his family were stoned to death, cut off from Israel. Presumptuous sin is not a light matter. It is not something that the Bible reveals to us is in the same category with a sin of ignorance or even a sin of weakness. Maybe two last ones. One on the positive side, one on the negative. Let's do the negative one first. I have in mind a man named Saul. I listed for your consideration the 13th and 15th chapters of 1 Samuel. We see an image of a man who had risen to the kingship in Israel. And oh, he started with such prestige and power and direction. He served the Lord in the way that would be proper, and yet his heart was lifted up in arrogance even above the commandments of God. He wanted things done his way despite whatever God may have said. And so in chapter 13, the time came that Samuel was a little bit slow in coming, at least in his estimation. It's time to offer the sacrifice. Where's Samuel? Well, he just hadn't made it yet, and so Saul went in and offered the sacrifice himself. Saul wasn't authorized to do that. He wasn't a Levite. He was not of the right person. What happened to him? God stripped the kingship from him. He was no longer allowed to be king. May we take seriously. God said, you're no longer fit to rule over my people because you have acted in a way that is presumptuous. You've acted in a way that's haughty and prideful and arrogant. And that danger is still just as possible for any of us today. No wonder we need a heart like Moses. You'll notice in Numbers 14, verses 5 and 6, the description they're given, although in the midst of this people who were murmuring and who were wanting to go back to Egypt, Moses and Aaron bowed their face unto God. And they wanted to do what God said. It didn't matter what the people thought. It didn't matter what the people felt. And today, how dangerous it is for you and I to be presumptuous, to know what God's will says, but to deliberately choose to do something else. May I say, there's an extended New Testament passage. Lest we think this is only an Old Testament consideration, there's a text in the heart of the New Testament that warns us about this today. Please turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, and we'll invest much of the rest of our lesson today in the second chapter of 2 Peter. We certainly won't read the fullness of that chapter, but let me draw to your attention some of what is said about presumptuousness. And although we will look at it more carefully in just a moment, could I already draw your attention to verse 10 because there's where our word appears. 
but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. What are they? The text says presumptuous, verse 10. Self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now the inspired writer develops in that verse and several verses to follow traits and characteristics of presumptuousness. Let us study this and be careful to ask, am I like this? May I ask if any of us are, you've got to do something about this immediately. Because God's Word tells us both Old and New Testament, this soul's going to be cut off. And it's not a pretty sight. Let's start like this. It's true that as the chapter begins, the inspired writer brings this description to touch false teachers, those that would oppose spiritual growth. But yet in his development, he applies it more broadly than just false teachers. He applies it to anyone that would be presumptuous. Let's begin reading in verse number 10. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not evil, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way, and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness." We'll pause at the end of verse 15. And may I call to your attention just a few of the descriptions given about these who behave like this. A person who's presumptuous. First of all, note this. They're self-willed. That's again the very meaning of this. With a high hand, they're determined to do what their will indicates. Doesn't matter what God says. They haven't so much interest or concern for that. It's the fulfilling of the lusts of uncleanness, the lusts of their own choices. In addition to that, note what's next. They are contrasted in verse 11 to angels. This is very intriguing. Let's note that together. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and mind, picture it, angels respect the power of God. They respect His authority. And yet here are people on earth who thumb their nose in rebellion against God. The text says even angels won't do that. Now there were some who did at one time. Jude verse 6, God cast them down to hell. 2 Peter 2 verse 4, and they're awaiting the day of judgment without any opportunity for repentance. May I again say, those that act presumptuously even in the angelic realm, have been punished dramatically and are awaiting even greater punishment yet. Let's add to that this. What is the fate described about this presumptuousness? Verse number 12. But these, who's the these? These that act presumptuously. 
as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. God says, their rebellion against me has fit them for destruction. And He goes on to say, they shall utterly perish in their corruption. This is sad. It's tragic when someone has chosen to conduct themselves like this. They know what God says, but they just don't care or at least care enough to do what He tells them to do. And in so doing, if they continue in this state, there's an adverb that He uses, utterly perish. And the verse closes like this, in their own corruption. They've brought it on themselves. It's not that they didn't know. It's not that they were unaware of it. Look at the next verse. They shall receive the reward... Now, you and I so often think about a crown of righteousness that awaits the faithful. Well, notice the unfaithful have a reward coming too. But how is it described? It says the reward of unrighteousness. They will receive the fit reward for their choices in rebellion and presumptuousness against the great authority and power of the God who loved them enough to send His Son to die for them, but they willfully, deliberately choose to rebel against Him. Read further in verse 13. It says, spots they are and blemishes. Isn't that an interesting description? These who are presumptuous are described as spots and blemishes. That takes on a heightened appreciation as you, as you read what's next. It says, sporting themselves with their own deceivings. They may, may well have deceived themselves. Although at one time they knew very well the nature of the Word of God, but over the course of time maybe their conscience has now become seared. It doesn't excuse it. Because he says, as they sport themselves, there's still spots and blemishes. It says, in fact, while they feast with you, they may well have the appearance of being rather different. But in that rebellion, as spots and blemishes... How tragic that that choice they've made, that decision, that direction in life has and continues to lead them in that direction that is not pure and white and clean, but is a blemish, a stain. On the slide, you may notice that in that description, there's a pretense that things are well, things are fine, when all the while Peter says it's not. The next verse puts it like this, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Now notice that doesn't mean that it is outside the realm of their repentance. It's just that to this point they have not stopped. They haven't made a change in direction, though they know better. And look at what's next. Beguiling unstable souls. May I suggest the weak may well be influenced by them. Individuals who are weak, individuals who are not as strong as they might be, may well be moved or at least influenced in a way toward rebellion by the activities of the presumptuous. That's the reason, of course, it's so terrible. And that's the reason it's so very dangerous. Maybe one final thing to notice. Verse 15, what way have, has been chosen? Notice these have chosen to walk but they walk in the way that's not the right way. They've forsaken that way. 
And in that forsaking, verse number 15 describes it, which have forsaken the right way and are going astray. It bothers you and I greatly when we think about an animal that goes astray. We erect fences, and yet when one gets out, when it goes astray, we exert great effort, and we hope that, of course, we're able to bring it back. Well, you'll notice here that these that are presumptuous, they have forsaken the right way. The latter part of the chapter sets before you and me an unforgettable set of lessons in further application of this. I'd like to read verses 18 to 22. And now with the connection we've made to the presumptuousness, listen to how practical this is for you and me today. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in judgment. I'm sorry, in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein, and overcome the latter end with them is worse than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Peter paints a rather vivid picture, doesn't he? This individual who wants faithful and chooses knowingly to walk away from it and to live in open, presumptuous rebellion against God. The text says it would be better for that man never to obey the gospel the first time because now that individual is far worse off than before and the judgment of God is going to be that much more severe. A person can fall from grace. The New Testament, if it teaches anything, teaches that, that that certainly is possible. I'm sure by now you've begun to wonder, with all this development of presumptuous sin, the only thing left, what about the ribbon of blue? I entitled the lesson, Presumptuous Sin and a Ribbon of Blue. The ribbon of blue takes us back to Numbers 15. We read a bit from that chapter earlier, but let me invite you briefly to turn back and note again the way in which the ribbon of blue enters because it will connect powerfully to what we've just now read. This text in 2 Peter 2 and the whole idea of presumptuous sin, going back to verse 37 of Numbers 15, it reads like this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, and that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which ye used to go a-whoring, that ye may remember and do my commandments and be holy unto my God." The fact is, the children of Israel were commanded that in their garments they were to have a ribbon of blue upon them. And we know that they did this. At the top left on that picture is actually a picture etched in rocks of where a conquering people saw the children of Israel. Did you notice the very bottom? 
the very bottom of that shows that, in fact, the Israelites wore a ribbon of blue. Now, over to the right are two pictures, again, of what might have been the garments. And you'll notice, whether it be girls or whether it be men, the ancient Jews took seriously, never, ever to be presumptuous. They didn't just say they didn't sometimes fall into that trap of sin. But God gave them a piece of garment, a commandment. It was to have a ribbon of blue on it. It was to be a constant reminder to never, ever do what you want to do, but always do what God says. Always follow His commandments and never, ever lift yourself up above what He says. In essence, that ribbon of blue was a reminder to never be presumptuous. Never act above with a high hand the authority of God. Our study today has been presumptuous sin and a ribbon of blue. Psalm 19.13, again, the lesson text today had said, Keep thy servant from presumptuous sin. I hope each of us feels strongly about that as well. If there's anyone in the audience that would need to come forward today and make acknowledgement to God, recognizing the occurrence of sin and your desire to be right with Him, He will forgive anything as long as you'll approach Him on His terms. He doesn't allow us to approach Him on our terms. He is God and we are not. He is great and He is awesome and we are not. But today, if there's anyone that would wish to come, the Lord's invitation is extended. It's always open. And this time of convenience reminds us of how serious presumptuous sin can be and the need we have to always rest in the hollow of His hand if you need to become a Christian today, repent of sin, confess His name and be baptized. If you need to re be restored to your first love, we'd be delighted to assist you in the ways that would be appropriate and I urge you to come now while together we stand and while we sing.